Hey, do us a favor. If you like listening to the show, please just take a few minutes, not even a few minutes, one minute to go into Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. You've done this before. You're you're an age <laughs> professional now. <laughs> <laughs> this is my this is only my second podcast, so it's uh, the idea. I was listening to something the other day, um, and I I hate this. I do this all the time on this podcast, but I listen to so many things while I'm you know like doing other activities. I'm listening to podcasts or something, and half the times things just kind of float into my head. Yeah, and then I I don't remember what I was listening to <laughs> that the idea came from. But it was an interview with somebody and they were talking about this band that I had never heard of. And I guess, I don't know if it was a local band or something, but they used the phrase, they released a thousand albums. And I think it's probably an exaggeration of some degree. But the point that this guy was making was that they just, they released a huge number of albums. They were always putting out albums and and some of them... Was Was it Guided by Voices? No, they they definitely do that. I love those guys. Uh, no, this is a band I'd never even heard of. So it was like Sun City something. But the person being interviewed in the podcast I was listening to talked to the, I assume, like the singer or the main songwriter of that band and said, you know, man, you guys put out so much stuff. And he's like, yeah. He's like, some of it's great. He's like, some of it's horseshit. <laughs> some of it's complete garbage. He's like, but the process is the work. It's the putting the thing out. Yeah. And I thought about that because I had been just talking to a friend, uh, Brandon, who was on the show before, and he was kind of a little yeah. bit bummed about the sound quality of his of his end of the conversation because he didn't have time to like, get a professional microphone or anything like that for the interview. And I told him, you know, like podcasting is not an audio file form. You know, it's just not people don't come here expecting perfection from a podcast. It's more akin to the guy dropping albums. It's like, you just put out the episodes, you know, and they are what they are. Sometimes the sound quality is somebody has a cell phone like you do. Sometimes somebody has a, you know, $5,000 microphone, whatever. That's, that's the circumstance of the episode. It's not the important part. Yeah. Most of the podcasts I listen to are exactly that. Uh, Somebody will sound very good, obviously the host and then the person that they're speaking to. Sometimes they will be, you know, they'll be there with them. Or sometimes they'll be calling in, and this is exactly what it sounds like. And your interview—I listened to that interview too, and he sounded like the audio quality was like almost like any other podcast I listened to. Right, that was fine. Like like Tim Ferriss, you listen. Tim Ferriss is like one of the top podcasts in the world, and sometimes his, you know, the other end of the his his end always sounds the same, but the other end sometimes sounds like garbage. Yeah, (laughs) and that's it's you know when you're talking to people. It's not only just an equipment thing, you know, sometimes like, especially for him, he's talking to people that are super, super busy. I was like, oh, Oh, sure. sure. I could get into a studio or I could talk to you on the phone. I'm more likely to have this conversation with you if you can talk to me on the phone. So he just goes for that. And I'm like, why not? The conversation, that's what matters. At least for me. Yeah. Even NPR, they have... You remember like before like podcasts, before most of us knew what, what podcasts were, and we listened to NPR on the radio. 
how many of those yeah. things were like shitty phone calls with like and not even like cell phone quality like landline crappy quality phone calls oh yeah oh yeah i mean so many of them and and, and again even podcasts now are the, the the sound quality is not particularly great with the guest and that's fine <laughs> if you're you know i'm not listening I'm not listening to a podcast and I'm not listening to an interview for the sound quality. And now, no, don't get me wrong. If it's, I've listened to some podcasts where the host sounds bad, that'll turn me off. If the host sounds terrible, then, you know, if I have to, if I have to increase the volume exponentially just to listen to the host, then I'm out. I can't listen to that anymore. Yeah. If you can't control um, your end of the conversation and keep it clean, then mm, unless, you know, you're just a beginner, that's fine. If you're a beginner, like I know that, when when Lamb and I first started doing this podcast, I think it was like three years ago, we recorded on the earbuds that came with our iPhones. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, just starting out, you know. But then as I've gone along, I progressed. Like now I have the same microphone that Rogan has, which is like a $400 microphone. But I had to invest three years to realize that, okay, now is the time that it's worth that investment. If I had bought this right. at the beginning, I'd be an idiot. <laughs> just plain and simple. Do you and Lamb, are, are you guys together when you do the podcast at times or is it always over the phone or computer? Always exactly the way you and I are doing it right now over Zoom. Okay, because sometimes I can't tell because he sounds super clear on his end. Yeah, he has a good uh, microphone well, yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he, hey, and yeah. What's funny is the microphone that he has, I say it's a good microphone. It is a good microphone. It's only a $60 microphone. That's the a, that's a thing that's amazing about audio equipment. I mean, like the one, like I said, the Shure that I have right now, is a $400 mic. It's pretty much yeah. the best mic you can get. It's the same microphone that uh, Michael Jackson used to record all of Thriller, but it's only oh, $400. Well. That's not that yeah. expensive for like top, top of the line. That's not outrageous. You know, other, other fields, you know, you get into thousands when you get to the top of things. Oh, sure. Yeah. I know so, with photography. Yeah. I mean, you get into, that's an expensive hobby. Oh, yeah. photography is easy. Easy. <laughs> Right, you're yeah. like you get on camera. Okay, no, this one's five hundred dollars. Okay, yeah. What's the next I've one? I definitely slowed. Yeah, I've slowed down for sure on what I've spent on photography. I mean, quite quite a bit. I, I still only have the three lenses that I've been shooting on for years. I actually did buy the last year. I um, started to get interested. I'd always liked the images, but I started to get interested in macro photography. Hmm. And uh, Best Buy had a had a pretty good deal on a Canon macro lens, um, so I, I I went and bought it, and I maybe had it for maybe two days tops, and I, I just I returned it because I thought to myself I'm I'm not gonna I'm I don't need this right now I, mm-hmm. I don't need it and I don't think that I'm gonna spend the time uh, to to learn how to use it and. To, you know, to learn how to use it properly to at least warrant the purchase. And, um, you know, so I, 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 just, I returned it. I'm like, you know what? I've, I've, I've done fine with the three lenses I have. That's, that's kind of my wheelhouse. And macro photography is not something that I need to get into at the moment. I'll learn it later. Uh, yeah, I think there's this, like, obsession so. with tools. Everybody gets uh, obsessed with tools. You know, I know, like, when I first started doing the vlogging thing, which I did... Couple years ago, and then stopped after 200 days, completely burned out. I, yeah. when I first started, I'm like, I got, I got to know what is the right equipment, you know. And it was, and I kept reading these things by people who were vlogging or making 
making videos, not necessarily movies, but you know, like YouTube, high quality YouTube videos. And they would always get asked that question. And their answer would be like, you know, the, the equipment doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I always thought that was such bullshit. But then the more you get into it, it's kind of a mix of both, right? Like you need decent equipment. You don't want to have garbage equipment, but you don't need top of the line unless you know that, like you said, that the the, the benefit matches the cost. Like yeah. am I gonna, if I'm going to spend uh, $500 on this thing, am I going to get $500 of use out of this? You know, am I going to use it for $500 worth? No, yeah. then that's a waste of money. Yeah, and that's exactly why I returned it. And my wife, uh, you know, Josephine, she, she she was like, "Okay, so you got a new lens? What do you, you know? So you're going to get into macro photography now?" And I said, "Sure." And I went out. I went out, went to the park, and just shot a bunch of things. And the, the pictures were terrible. And not that I thought that the pictures, because I, uh, you know, consider myself a, a you know a, a fairly good photographer. Not not that I thought the pictures were were going to look great but i'm like i know nothing about macro photography and <laughs> and and honestly like what was i thinking like i'm, I'm not gonna yeah i'm not gonna learn how to use this thing right now i you know i i'm not gonna be able to when i got into photography it was it was before we had kids so i got into it at a really good uh, at a really good time in my life where uh, not that this is not a really good time in my life i just mean <laughs> i got into it when i had the time to just to just sit on the couch and uh, and read and just absorb and actually just take off for a couple of hours and and shoot and practice right. and I had that time so I you know it was so I learned quite a bit during that time and I still learn like when I had kids I you know I I definitely learned more on how to shoot how to shoot children that's for sure and uh, and even action photography when I shot when I started shooting my son's games and, and all that stuff but um, I was like no I'm not I'm not going to learn how to choose macro photography but i think for some people and, and and not everybody but i think for some people it adds like having all this equipment adds a certain legitimacy to the thing and it's not right. the case i mean it really isn't and uh, you know i i've been shooting on the same canon 7d for got close to 10 years now and i do i, I would like that that would be my next logical investment would be a body because the lenses i have are you know, are still really, are still really good lenses. And I know how to use them well. A body is maybe something that I might consider, but even that might be another year or two down the line because the 70 that I have does exactly what I want it to at the moment. Right. Like my, I mean, I don't do as much photography as you do, but like I still have a, a Sony NEX7 that I bought like, I don't know, like seven, eight, maybe nine years ago. Is that what you're using for the vlogs? Uh no, I was using a Canon. What the heck's that little oh, tiny gotcha. handheld one? Yeah, this okay. one was. The problem with the Sony is they don't make Sonys with the the front flip. You know where you can see the screen, so yeah. you can see what you're doing. Yeah. So for vlogging, that was awful. But yeah. I wish I could have used that one because I don't know what it is. Those first Sony NEX cameras, even though they don't have huge uh, megapixels, it doesn't matter because the glass on them was really good, and. Yeah. They work great. Like I love it. I still like. I haven't felt a need to buy another camera. You know, the, I bought the other one for vlogging because that was for video, and I yeah. I don't like using that camera for taking photos. I don't like the way they look. They look kind of fuzzy to me. Yeah, and that's even the thing about about the megapixels too. The misconception that more megapixels is 
you know, is, is just the end all. And no, it's not. Right. It's, it's, it's really how you use <laughs> the camera. Exactly that. And I don't shoot anything that I'm blowing up to, you know, fit a billboard. So, right. um, you know, I'm shooting maybe at most, I think 16 by 20 is the most I've ever blown, um, a photo up and, um, it looks good. You know, at least I do. I think it looks fine. Yeah. You don't need very many megapixels to do that at all. Like I think 40 would do it. Yeah. Uh, Actually my first, uh, it's funny you mentioned Sony. That was actually my first SLR. I I started on a Canon point and shoot. And then when I started getting interested in it and I'm glad that I got interested in it on a point and shoot, you know, and I started messing around with all the settings. And once I kind of, at least my skill level sort of, you know, you know, kind of surpassed what that camera was able to do. I was like, all right, well maybe I'll look into my first SLR. So I, I bought this, a, the A200, the Sony A200, and it was an introductory model. And I bought it with the, the whole package, you know, with the wide lens and the zoom lens that it came with. Came with, And um, shot on that thing for a few years and loved it. Learned a lot on that before I upgraded. And, yeah, I definitely prefer Canon because their color profile, I think, is better. Sony is too saturated for me. Yeah. I have a buddy who started with Canon, moved to Nikon, then went back to Canon. Actually, no, I'm sorry. He went to Canon, went to Nikon, went to Sony, and has stayed with Sony ever since. He uses one of those high-end mirrorless uh, uh, Sony cameras that um, look really good. I mean, his pictures definitely look, uh, like you said, I mean, they're a bit more saturated. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a good camera. It is. And oh, yeah. I don't have anything... So I, I moved. You can't. You can't really. I think, as far as like the mechanics of it, I think they make the best mechanics, probably. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't have the they didn't have the lens lineup at the time. I thought, you know, well, if, if I if I want to expand a bit more um, lens wise, you know, Sony didn't necessarily have the lens lineup that mm-hmm. Canon did. So that's the only reason why I went Canon and. Um, also because I wanted something rugged and, you know, the A200 I had was a piece of plastic and it was a good camera. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I wanted something a bit more rugged. The 7D has a magnesium alloy body and shot and was really fast, you know, at the time. I mean, they make faster cameras, obviously, but that was, I think, eight frames per second, which was awesome. Well, you know, speaking uh, of photography, why don't you have an Instagram? (laughs) I feel you know like what? you have a photography Instagram by now, man. I, so I have definitely... I've been considering that over the past couple of years, and you're not the first person to ask me that. And it would make sense, <laughs> absolutely, for me to have it one. It seems like so your I'm format. Probably, <laughs> yeah, 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 it really is. I mean, I like, I, I like Facebook. I like Twitter. Um, and having a third social media account, I think that's really the only... That's really the thing that, that's kept me from it even though mm-hmm. I probably would have a lot of fun with it and, you know, be able to follow a lot of artists and photographers. And, um, you know, I use Facebook for a very specific reason. I use Twitter for a very spe- specific reason. And I feel I would use Instagram for an even more specific reason. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think just because I, I, I think it's just the social media. Then like, do I really need another social media account? Well, I can and, tell you that um, it's, you can use it differently than everybody else. That's what I try to do with all the accounts is I don't get into the social shit anymore. I don't have a yeah. personal one anymore. 
I've got one for the podcast and I've got one for my dog. <laughs> and I made the one for my dog right. just so that the podcast people wouldn't be inundated with pictures of my dog. Right. I don't do all the chatty shit in the comments and all that underneath. I just post stuff. I look at a few things and then I'm out. And I, I just yeah. think it's kind of... I hate the fact that Facebook owns Instagram, but it is kind of at the point where being a photographer and not having Instagram kind of looks strange almost. Like, oh, yeah. you it is, it's, it's sad to say. I'm yeah. not saying that as I'm, I'm proud of that being a fact, but it does kind of seem that way. It's strange. It's fair. Um, no, it's, it's, it's fair. And it's a fair question too. And, and I don't, other than that, I don't really have another answer because it does, it, it, it would make sense for me to, for me to have an Instagram account. And, and, and who knows, I probably will. You know, every time I'm on Facebook, there's always that, you know, all of these, all of these friends, you know, are using Instagram, use Instagram. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> not, not, not yet. You know. Well, you know, the reason I bring it up is selfish is just because I want to see your damn pictures. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what? <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and I don't share, uh, you know, I share, I share photos here and there on Facebook. You know, I'll share them of, you know, trips we take or, or uh, of my son. But I try not to share too many photos. Um, at least I try and be somewhat selective on the photos I I share on Facebook. Yeah, you don't want to so, block out people's reli- uh, uh, political rants with actual. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah, I definitely don't want to. You know, don't I, get I, in I want that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I want to see your Trump post. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not pictures of your kids. We just want to hear people angry about something that they don't even read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I I, I want to know how you'll fix the country. But, <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's unfair. I mean, I've made I, I use I use Facebook to, I yeah I, I make jokes about Trump too. So I'm 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 in that. I don't I don't think I do it as uh, fervently as others, but yeah, I do do it. Yeah, it's it's hard to get wrapped up in that without it. Like uh, you know, like whatever you know, whether people like him or don't like him, and they get putting up angry posts either way. It is it yeah, and and people literally. Yeah, and, yeah, and people can use honestly. I, I don't give a shit. I mean, use use your social media the way you want to use your social media, and your friends right. will either either um, choose to follow you or not. But I do like I I'm more forgiving of political rants on Twitter because I think it's more designed as a platform in that regard. You know, for you yeah. to just you know pop off on whatever issue, whatever topic. Uh, you want to, you want to, you want to talk about or discuss and people follow you for those very reasons, you know, and I follow people, the most of the people that I follow on Twitter are writers, um, mm-hmm. and, and film and filmmakers. And, and a lot of those writers and filmmakers do talk politically. And that doesn't bother me because I kind of, I, I kind of knew that going in to Twitter, that that's what it was going to be like, you know, Facebook, however, that, by the way. with that. What do you think about that? Like I was listening to something the other day and somebody said that the reason people get pissed off when uh, public figures talk about politics, especially in the entertainment field, is because there used to be entertainment used to be a way to hide from politics and now we can't get away from it. What do you think about that? I I think it I, I think honestly it's just the way that everything has changed so drastically politically. And you know what? the 
you know, 2016 election did was just get people so fired up and not that people weren't already. Um, but I think it's just really the, what that did Trump winning, what that did, uh, to, to people's view of our country and, um, just, and even their views on what and how us as a country was, you know, was going to be viewed. And I think they just, it just really just started a firestorm of, you know, of, of political interest um, that may not have already been there for some and an elevation for, you know, for, for those that did. So um, I think too, what happened was there was a lot of, you know, at the initial phases of, you know, like you said, like for for people on the left, this is really like when Trump got elected, this really started to hit home for them. But for people on the right, they were embroiled in arguments online already over Obama, right? So right. there's right. a the staggering between the left and the right as far as when it began. But it, it does seem like because social media is new, of course, it, it has blown up. But it also seems like what happened when it first started was there were people, there were a very vocal um, minority. And I would say that even still t- today, the minority is the, is the loud, rude people are, are still a minority. But there, right. were, there was a, a vocal minority when, when these feelings started. And then at a certain point, uh, public figures, if they hadn't said anything, people were making decisions about what they believed based on them not saying anything. Oh, sure. You know, like if you if you were an actress on Hollywood and you never talked about Time's Up or Me Too, then they were making a judgment about what you believe just because you didn't say anything. So right, then it became right. like almost like I have to say something just so people know what side I'm on and they don't make the decision for me. And then, you know, like once you start once you start that process, as you know, like just like any argument online, once you get into one, good luck getting away from it. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean I <laughs> and, and honestly yeah, and honestly, I got into a, uh, I got into uh, you know that sort of discussion. Um, it was maybe earlier this. I think it was earlier this year. Um, it was on Facebook of all places too. And Facebook, I don't, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I make jokes about about Trump, and some of my friends laugh, and some of my friends don't really give me shit for it. I'm just making jokes about him. Uh, it's right. a very easy. <laughs> It's a very easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, it's not difficult, and and that's and, and I do I do it for a laugh, and and, and yeah, you know I, I'm 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 furious as well. I I can't <laughs> I I can't stand this the the fact that he is the president of this country. However, I I just do it on Facebook and make jokes, and some people laugh and get a kick out of it. That's fine. What I don't do is try and ignite some sort of political discussion. That's not what I use Facebook for. I don't even use right. Twitter for that, to be honest. It's just, it's, it's not what I do. I mean, how and effective is that anyways? Let's be honest. It's, it's not at all. <laughs> Everybody, it's, it's not effective. You're not going to change anybody's mind. If anything, yeah. the only thing you're going to do is change your own mind about your execution on things. Because mm-hmm. it just, because it's just going to infuriate you. And I got into this, I got into this back and forth with a friend of mine because of a comment I made and, and maybe foolishly, I'll, I'll admit a comment that I made on her post 
And it just turned into this 30 comment between her and I oh, back and no. forth. She's an avid, she's an avid, uh, this, this person is an avid, uh, Trump supporter. Um, I am not. And I, I, I made a comment. It got, there was a clap back <laughs> and it just turned into this ridiculous, ridiculous conversation where I felt, um, you know, this person wasn't even just kind of moved way far from what, than the topic we were actually discussing. And I wasn't even necessarily at that point, I I wasn't even even defending myself. I was just basically trying to point out, look, you are arguing the wrong fucking point. This is what I am saying. And you're not understanding this. And it was just dumb. It was just so dumb. And I remember I was at my mom's actually, when we were doing this and my mom, who is, uh, not a Trump supporter at all, you know, is, is, sitting there, is sitting there trying to encourage me to stop, to, to just stop. And I wasn't, and, and honestly, I, I, I was as, I tried to be as level-headed as I could. I, I wasn't attacking at all. And I was mainly just um, trying to, uh, trying to just kind of bring the conversation back to reality. But um, my mom was just, sitting there just in hysterics and she's like why why do you keep responding i'm like i don't know (laughs) it's it's like a drug man it really is you know like what one time i almost did it once with the podcast i saw something and i was like it wasn't like i was trying to engage something i just saw something almost like what you were saying like i'm like that would be funny i'm like but also like you know i started typing it and then i had it and i was i actually think i sent it and then i looked at it and i'm like Oh, I'm not being funny. I'm trying to be clever. And that's just going to, this is going to, oh, wait, no, I don't want this attached to the podcast. I don't want to get into this. Why did I do it? So, delete. (laughs) Luckily, nobody's not. Luckily. Yeah. But it's really easy to do. I mean, that's the whole point of that platform, and especially is you can just fire something off in like 10 seconds without thought. Yeah. And that's how it survives. Yeah. And I, you know, I have friends that are very political, and that's fine. It's use it, use it however you want. You know, I may not comment. I may, I may like it. You know, but I'm, I, I'm not going to necessarily get. I don't want to necessarily get involved in a Facebook discussion about it. That's not what I use Facebook for. I use Facebook to connect with friends that I uh, don't see very often and see how they're doing, see how their kids are doing. Twitter, on the other hand, is different, and you can choose to follow. Um, you could choose to follow or unfollow people, comment or not, or rant. Um, right. And, you know, I think people who do that on Twitter, you know, they do want to get into a discussion. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's, you know, it's a it's an informed discussion and sometimes not. But, you know, it's, it seems less of a... Um, I guess it seems to me ranting on Twitter is... Uh, less of a violation than ranting on Facebook. Right. Yeah, because yeah, there's not as many, there's not as much personal stuff necessarily on most of Twitter. You know, people aren't, here's a picture of me and the kids at the lake. That's not happening a lot on Twitter. That's yeah, I, and I, I, I actually do see some of that actually from a lot of writers actually, which, you know, mm. and, and it's, it, but it, what's interesting, what's interesting is I understand why, you know, and it's just, you know, writers who are just, they're, they're just take, I mean, we're all just a fucking mess, you know? And 
I, I, I like seeing those pictures from writers cause it's like, okay, they're, they're, they're just taking a break. You know what I mean? They're having right. a struggle and I had done it too, where I've actually posted a picture of, of the lake, you know, after having a shitty writing week or even having a good one, but just wanting to take a break and just like, yeah, I'm just, here's my picture. Here's my cool picture of this lake that I'm at. <laughs> like it or, you know, like it or not. But I do see, I do see quite a bit of that. Um, from um, from writers who post you know pics about their or post pictures of their dogs and kids and now back to writing you know but well yeah speaking, yeah. speaking of which uh, we've mentioned so far Twitter we've mentioned oh. you use Twitter to follow writers we've mentioned yeah. <laughs> we've mentioned getting back to writing that's one of the things yeah. I want to talk about but before we can talk about what you referred to as the brutal notes we want like for everybody who's listening who listened to the last episode with Mark. Like let's, uh, I think you guys probably want an update on what the writing's going on. What's going on with the writing? If I can say that yeah. sentence right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the last when we were when we last spoke, I think it was last July, was it? Maybe. Yeah, sounds um, about right. Okay, um, I was. Uh, I I just started. I was I was in the middle of uh, um, writing a feature, a new feature in my script. I finished that and finished, uh, you know, a uh, <clears throat> myriad of rewrites on it. And, uh, then I, I started tooling with some earlier screenplays that I wrote. Uh, and then just most recently I finished my first ever one hour pilot, which is, uh, was, was, was definitely an interesting process and, and an interesting experience. I've never written a television or I've never written for television before. It's very and, yeah, it is. It's extremely different. And uh, this idea um, that, that ended up becoming the pilot was originally meant to be a feature. Uh, and uh, just kind of going through and going through the outline. And I had actually started it as or still with the intention of or still with the intent of writing a feature and just realized that I, I, I was like, you know what? I think this would be better as like a, like a limited series, you know, like a eight episode series on on netflix or amazon or something what we used to call mini series when we were a kid yeah yeah exactly and uh um you know there's been so many of those that have been um you know that have that have have been released that have been launched i think in the middle of writing this i was i was watching both russian doll and fleabag which are just both phenomenal just it's just excellent excellent shows and, um, this one is my, I mean, mine is, a, is, is a, it's not like those in the sense that, you know, those are, those are comedies. Those are half hour comedies. Mine is a, a, a kind of one hour sci-fi drama. Um, but I, I, I finished that. And while I was kind of doing the revisions for that, I entered the Academy until the, the, the last feature that I wrote that I finished the one you and I were talking about. I entered that in a couple of screenplay competitions. One of them being, um, the, uh, Academy's nickel, um, screenplay competition. It's an annual competition that they have. That's a, probably the most prestigious screenplay competition. And, um, you know, has, has led to, um, you know, writers who have not even won, but just placed, you know, made the, made the first or second round and then this, the quarterfinals or the semifinals round have, have led to, you know, them getting represented and them actually being sought after as far as writers. And, um, uh, didn't place, didn't even pass the first round in the nickel. And that was, you know, that was definitely sad and, and frustrating. And, 
And one writer um, that I follow on Twitter, um, I had actually read her script. She, the nice thing about this, this writing community that I found on Twitter, and that's really why I love Twitter, is there's just this awesome writing community where everybody is just supporting one another and lifting one another up and offering to do reads of their work in exchange for you know them uh, reading other stuff. And if not, just like, hey, I just want to read your script. You know, this script sounds awesome. Wow. People, people will post their log lines. There's writers that are just championing for other writers, you know, writers that are successful that... Hold on one sec. Can you explain what a log line is? So a log line is basically... Um, the, it's just a brief, tiny synopsis of your, of your script. So um, uh, you know, what you would maybe find on the back of a DVD. You know, so like an, just almost like an elevator pitch type thing. Kind of, yeah. For people you know. who maybe aren't in the same term or a, or a summary. Yeah. Yeah, so just a brief a brief summary, and uh, there's 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 a writer specifically who um, um, is always you know saying hey what's your um, let's do uh, some uh, um, Twitter uh, uh, query um, the query treats and some spec shoutouts or whatever, and it's just basically um, put put your logline in here and we'll share it you know just mm-hmm. maybe you can get maybe you can get some reads and it's just a really it's just really cool. But anyways, that's really cool. Yeah, this uh, this writer um, just happened to, and I've read quite a few scripts from from just this right here. But but this writer said, "Hey, anybody, uh, I'm I'm wanting to um, I'm wanting to uh, submit my screenplay into the nickel. Do I have any writer friends out there that'd be willing to give it a read?" And I raised my hand. I said, "Yeah, I'll do it." So she sent me her script, and I read it and really liked it. Gave her some notes, and uh, uh, you know, come the you know. The, the nickel announcements, you know, I was bummed. I, I didn't, I didn't pass the first round and took a look back or took a step back and kind of looked at it. And I reached out to her and, uh, you know, she passed actually, she, she passed the the next two. She, she uh, became a semifinalist, which was awesome. And, um, so I reached out to her and said, Hey, hey congratulations on, on making the semifinals. That's terrific. Um, you know, I'm just bummed. Mine didn't even pass the first round. Would you mind taking, would you mind you know, reading it? And she agreed read it and um yeah <laughs> the notes weren't the notes weren't good you know and um yeah and it was i mean it, the the notes were brutal and it's it, and this these are notes that i wanted to have is as painful right. as that is she you know before i even sent it to her she said what what are you looking for and she used to read she's a writer's assistant and she used to uh, be a professional reader She's been a reader for an executive and also a contest. So she definitely knows what she's looking for and she knows what she's supposed to be looking for when reading, um, when reading specs. And, um, she said, you know, what kind of notes are you looking for? Are you just looking for a general overview? Do you want me to be brutal? Are you looking for, you know, just kind of what works, what doesn't any specific parts? And I just said, um, yeah, just kind of overall what works, uh, character structure, dialogue you know tone no no need to really you know uh dull the blade you know i mean just <laughs> you know if you want to if you want to stab away if you if you you know if you feel uh you need to and and she did <laughs> you know and um it was brutal i mean it was i mean it uh it, it definitely in the script the the thing that was i think the most hurtful were not her her 
were not necessarily her notes because she wasn't mean in any way. I don't, I don't want to give off that impression. I knew right. exactly what I was getting. I knew exactly what I was getting because that's what I was asking for. And um, it was just the pure volume of, of some notes where I thought, you know, you know, you've got to be confident in what you do. I mean, if you're, if you're not, then why are you doing it? You know? So I, I would, I would write something and then, yeah, there'd be moments where I'd be like, Oh, this is, this is good. I'm proud of this. And, uh, it's just the pure volume of some of the notes. And then, um, also how many of them actually made sense when I took right. a step back and actually, and actually looked at it. And, and the implications uh, too, right? Where you're like, Oh, this doesn't work. Fuck. That's going to create a giant rewrite. Oh yeah. It's yeah. that, you know, and, something structural. You're like, Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> oh yeah. And there were some, and there were some good, there was, there, there were definitely some, uh, some positive notes, um, uh, you know, that, that dotted the pages and everything. And, and that was great, but yeah, you know, you just, it, it definitely puts things in perspective as far as, and, and even on uh, a feminist view too, because there were some notes that she gave me, where I thought I was actually um, being very mindful of how my female characters were portrayed. And hearing her notes, you know, did make me um, consider that for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and, a very hard thing to do when, you know, like to put yourself in the perspective of someone else as the job of a writer, but we're still limited. You know, like you and I have never lived as women. <laughs> So right. No, yeah. No matter how sensitive there, or how we try, we're going to still have blind spots. Yeah, and I and I've and I've I've you know tried to be very mindful of that. You know, I've listened to podcasts. There's there's actually one uh, which which is really funny called the Bechtel Cast. I just oh, actually listened great, to a new man. podcast yesterday. Yeah, and it's I listened to a new podcast yesterday where they uh, um, <laughs> reviewed the Fast and the Furious. They don't always do current movies. They'll do movies from you know years ago, and they they reviewed. Uh, their last episode was about, or one of their last episodes was about, you know, the very first Fast and the Furious uh, movie, you know, the franchise. And, um, you know, I listened to that uh, podcast quite a bit because it's basically, it's, it's two female comedians and um, they just review movies from, uh, you know, through a female lens and, and basically just review how um, women are being treated in those, in those roles and they'll, they'll put it up against, uh, the, the main, the main point is putting it up against what's called the Bechdel test. The Bechdel test is basically, you know what that is? Yeah. So whether two women talk about anything other than men. Yeah. Yeah. So two, two, yeah. Two female, there's gotta be at least two female characters who have a name. um, Oh, that's the other qualification. Who who have, yeah. Who have names and And um, have, (laughs) right. Right. And have at least, a couple of lines of dialogue where that, that do not revolve around a man at all. Yeah, and that's the bare, bare minimum requirement. That is. And you would, you would be surprised of how many films do not pass this test. Oh yeah. You know? I can't, I can't remember what I was listening to. Somebody was talking about this and they said, you know, what surprisingly passes the Bechdel test a lot is Hallmark movies. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. You know? And I imagine I, maybe they just have a lot more women writers maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> funny story. The, uh, fast and the furious actually passed. <laughs> no shit. That yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean they felt it was a good movie by any right. Right. Um, the car conversation but, um, probably. <laughs> it was actually, it, it was actually a conversation where, 
um, Michelle uh, Rodriguez's character, Letty, um, I don't know, but, uh, uh, oh my God. Um, oh my God, I just listened to this. The, the guy who plays Dom, Dom, I'll just say his character, Dom, um, is talking to two women and Michelle Rodriguez. Vin Diesel, fuck! I couldn't. There we go. I don't know why. I've never I seen the movie, so I was guessing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an entertaining movie. I mean, they've only gotten more ridiculous, and you know, right. um, over the over the years, there are some that I haven't seen, and, and just because of what I've seen in the trailers, they've just gone so over the top. But anyway, I think it's when she approaches these two women, she calls them skanks, and then says, "Why don't you?" take off before I put tread marks on your face. And one of them says, okay. And it was simply because of that, <laughs> that it passed. <laughs> it says, Talk about the bare minimum requirement. It's like yeah. one over the line. Yeah. And it was okay, just hilarious. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but the, but my point was just that I, you know, I thought that I was actually going in, you know, very mindful of, um, you know, of uh, my characters and, this is a woman who read my script and clearly did not believe that. So, you know, I, I, you know, put that, okay, that's something I gotta, I gotta look at, you know, it's tough, um, especially sometimes, yeah. sometimes to, for the listeners, sometimes it's not possible. It's not possible to pass the Bechdel test in the sense that um, like, for example, the, the good, the good and the bad, the ugly is never going to pass the Bechdel test because I don't think there's any women in the movie. Oh sure, like that sure, all. exactly. Or yeah, or something like Ocean's Eleven, which you know, which is still, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's that those movies are bad. But I absolutely yeah. can, you know, absolutely agree that you know that women uh, are are not always, um, you know, represented fairly or accurately. Right. Treated like scene uh, in a lot of films. In films, yeah, you know. But, well, there's something they said that, like, so, even if you look at. Um, you know, like crowds that they gather, you know, when they have people just filling crowds, it's still mostly men. Even when, even when nobody's acting and they're just there to fill space, they still fill it with mostly men. That's strange. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so there's still, you know, I, I did, I just, I just, I'm finishing up a rewrite on the pilot, which, which I'm really excited about. And then there are two other scripts that, you know, I, that I'm actually looking at the notes that she gave me for this one made me think, okay, let me look at the other scripts too. And just cause there were some very practical notes that she gave me that, um, I'm like, well, let me, you know what, these, 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 I could actually apply to, to the, the, the two earlier ones. And I'm going through and just really just taking a, a deeper dive into those scripts. And, and this one that she that she commented on, um, the, the one of the first things that she said, you know, I don't want to harp too much on this, but one of the first things that she said was, "Look, first off, this is one person's opinion. I know how hard it is. I've been exactly where you are right now. Right. You know, um, I was very, very brutal." And she told me that in the very beginning, before I even looked at the the document, before I even looked at the script with her notes uh, written on it, before I even looked at it, you know, she said, "Look, I was brutal." She's like. I've been here, you know, this is one person's opinion. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. It doesn't mean I'm right. It just, you know, this is what my notes would be, you know, take them how they are or don't, you know, I mean, I've given this, these are, these are exactly the type of notes that I would give a very close friend of mine and, you know, would expect a very close friend to give to me. And, um, sometimes we say, no, fuck off. And it's that, 
before. Sometimes we say, oh, no, you know, you're right. I got to consider that and maybe change a few things up. So, but I'm still proud of it. And I, you know, I, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not going to toss it. I mean, it, of course, it's just one person's opinion. And, you know, some of them were very valid. Um, so it's just kind of going back to the drawing board. Value, it will survive, you know, through brutal criticisms and many, many drafts. Like, the things that make it to where we want them to be that end up doing well are the things that can take a beating. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I will say as much as it, as much, as much as it did kind of beat me down, I, um, I'm glad I got them though. I really am because I, I ended up writing this Twitter thread, um, about, I did, you know, I didn't, call her out by name or anything like that but i just you know and, and i wasn't even calling her out at all i was just it was just basically a thread um just uh, uh it was actually in defense of you know people who do give you notes like that because it was like right. look i was like i got some brutal fucking notes over the weekend on the last script and um as much as it sucks to to kind of be on the sharp end of uh, notes like that you know we've as writers, you know, we, we, we should consider, we should consider these notes, you know, any, because here's the thing, any, any, any note a writer, a fellow writer gives you is worth taking a look at, you know, regardless right. of whether or not you, you, you agree with them, you know, it's, it's worth, it's worth taking a look at. It's worth considering, especially if you have actually read that person's work. And in right. this case I did, in this case I did. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, um, well, I have yeah, a friend so who's a professional book editor. And when she, she tells people, she says, I'm always brutal. They're always going to get brutal notes. She says, but remember, my intention is not to destroy you. My intention is to make what you're doing better. Right. So I'm never going to tell right. you something that, that I don't think is going to help you. <clears throat> yeah. It's like putting that, that hat on, you know, we've all heard, at least in the writing community, I've heard, you know, like the writer hat and the editor hat. But then there's also the hat that it takes to receive criticism, and it's a it's right. a it's a very unique hat. You know, like you touched on it a little bit there, because you have to number one, you have to go into with two mindsets at the same time. You need to be open, right. but you also need to be confident. So you yeah. need to be able to look at criticism and go, "That's valid. That's not. That's valid. That's not." And you right. need to be able to switch between those two, and that's it's a very difficult thing to do. But it's easier to do when you know your piece and you know your purpose right. of your piece, right? Because they say something and you go, okay, yeah, you're right. The reader would not get that. I fucked up there. But then over here, no, that's... that's You accidentally... You know, like your editor accidentally slipped into writer mode. You know, sometimes people will give you notes on accident, especially if they're a writer, where they're telling you what they would do if they were writing it. Right. And those are the right. ones that you can, you can dismiss. Like, well, you're not writing this. I am. It's just hard to tell the difference between the two. It's, yeah. a, it's a constant switching. It is, and I and there were there definitely were notes in the script where I was like, okay, well, I I appreciate that note. I don't agree with that note. And there were some notes where I was like, really? Like, I mean, all right, well, that doesn't that doesn't really make sense. But okay. And then there were other notes where I was like, fuck, she's spot on here. Right. You know, um, and uh, it's funny you mentioned the the you know one of the notes. What you just said recently, one of the um, on that thread, you know, people were really um, responsive to to that thread that I wrote, and uh, you know, one of the notes was um, uh, actually a, a writer, um, super cool guy. I, I actually read his script last week. Um, 
super cool guy. He actually reached out to me privately and uh, he said, Hey, thanks for the, thanks for the shot. I gave him a shout out for the script that he wrote on Twitter. And, and uh, uh, he, he reached out to me in a personal message and said, Hey, thanks for the shout out. By the way, he's like, that's not why I'm reaching out to you. I'm reaching out to you. You obviously heard from some notes you got. And then he just kind of went into a, kind of a pep talk and just said, look, you know, you could just step back, take a look at the notes. Are, you, are they notes of a writer telling you how they would have written this? Or is it, you know, because if it is, then it's, you know, trust your voice, you know, trust your vision, trust what you exactly. want it to do, you know? And, yeah, uh, when and, it comes and to like I, word choice, you know, somebody's telling you like, Oh, this word means this to me. Okay. Well, that means and, that to you. Yeah. And so, and some were like that. Some were like, huh, I don't understand this. I'm like, well, I actually think it sounds pretty good. And that's where that confidence has to come in. You're like, no, this is right. You know, like yeah. how many times did, you know, like, uh, so many great writers, especially the, the Irish writers, great Irish writers that would do difficult things like uh, Finnegan's Wake. Finnegan's Wake is not the kind of book that most people would pick up and go, oh, this is exactly how it should be. It's a fucking difficult book. But he said, this is the way I want to do it. Yeah. James, I mean, James Joyce, James Joyce wrote that way. You know, I mean, yeah. Ulysses is crazy <laughs> with, with, with language. I mean, look at what Anthony Burgess did also with A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. You know, and, um, yeah, you know, I mean, he created, he created his own language and it was thrilling to read. I'll be at, you know, hard. I'll tell you the story after. No, I was just, I, I was just, I remember the first time I read it, uh, I, I was, I, I was in my twenties, you know, I was maybe in my, my early twenties when I first read that book and, um, it was thrilling to read, but more so because I had never read anything like that. I'm like, right. what the fuck is this guy? This guy is just, this guy has basically created a, 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 his own language, right? you know, and to have that discipline throughout or to have that discipline remain throughout the you know in, in entire novel and it changes here and there obviously when when he's with his buddies you know the language is more prominent right um but um yeah, but yeah i mean he'll say hands but then when he's with his friends they're rookers you know right right you know but, well, it's, but I, it's, read, uh, I was in i was a freshman in college when i read that book and yeah. the funny thing about it is i didn't know there was a glossary in the back so I read oh, that right, whole yeah. book <laughs> as a foreign language, basically. I read that whole book figuring out what all the words meant. That's probably yeah. why I still remember them. Because I was like, what the fuck is a rooker? What is a rooker? Yeah. But then I have to look at the context of the sentence. It was a difficult read. And then I got to the end of the book, read the last chapter and flipped it over like, oh my God, the definition yeah. of all the words are right here. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I could be wrong, but I I thought that uh, Irving Welsh did the same thing with Train Spotting, and Train Spotting was a extremely difficult book to read, and I loved it. I, I really did. Glue is even more so. Glue is almost harder to read than than Train Spotting, but Train Spotting was the first Irving Welsh novel that I read, and it's written in a a Scottish, you know. Uh, heavy accent. yeah heavy yeah heavy like heavier, so it, than, I mean, heavier than the movie actually yeah and it took me i i mean it, it took me a long time to, to finish that book yeah and, and everything for for people who haven't seen it everything in the book is spelled phonetically exactly yeah 
So yeah. you, you know, some words have like three E's and something you're like, what is that word? It doesn't yeah. look like a word I know. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it was almost like it would be, it, it would be cool when you would, when you would, oh, that's it. <laughs> like, okay, I got it. I got oh, it. And then you started. Lush. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then you, and then you start to, you be, you start to, you know, read it a little bit, uh, or it becomes a little bit easier as you're as you're moving along, and so do a lot of his books. And not all of his books are written that way. It forces um, you as a reader to become an actor, because once you start figuring out the words, you actually start in your head doing a you know it's probably a bad Scottish accent, but you're doing a Scottish accent in your head. Yeah, he's yeah. forcing you to act essentially. Yeah, yeah. That's I I don't read books out loud at all, but I did find myself doing that with. Uh, with train spotting. You have to, because if you're not doing it the weird phonetic way he's doing it, it doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the brilliance of it, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, you know, I'm going back to the Bechdel test for one second. Uh, when, when I was working on like the novel that I've been working on, I, that's about the time that I discovered the Bechdel test. And so I said, okay, let's see if my book passes. It doesn't. <laughs> and yeah. it, and it, it, it doesn't because uh, kind of similar to what I was saying before, it's impossible for me to, well, not impossible. I would have to add elements to the book simply for the purpose of passing the Bechdel test, which is not a good reason to add elements to a book. Sure. Um, yeah. So, Like for example, there's only probably two scenes in the whole book where two women talk to each other and yeah. they talk about a man because the man's the main character and he's, he's sick. And the okay. only thing these two women have in common is taking care of him. So there's literally nothing else these two people can talk about, nor do I want them to because they don't like each other. Right. So what I had to do for myself, is, and I'm glad that I still ran across that term, because what I did is I sat down and I said, what am I doing? Am I, even if I can't give them that kind of conversation, am I still treating them? like as genuine characters or am I right. stereotyping them? And I had to look and I'm like, you know what? Like I totally am. This character is totally coming off like a complete, uh, the nagging bitchy wife, which right, is right. a terrible stereotype. And, and it's because, you know, like uh, what I, what the problem I was having was that part of the book was being filtered through the perception of the character, not through my perception, but through the perception of the character, but it's not written in first person. So I had to remember that and separate. So what I did is I actually sat down in every scene and, and I said, what would she be thinking right now? What would she yeah. be feeling? And then once I was able to connect that, oh my God, the, the, the scenes got so much better because they, you know, it's like, oh, this, you know, this shallow argument between two people became something more of a, a, a complex conversation where it would go between phases of arguing and then phases of, of, of contact, like a real conversation, yeah. you know, it phased yeah. in and out. And so even if you can't, for anybody out there that's a writer, even if you can't pass the Bechdel test um, because logistically it doesn't fit into the structure, you still deserve to give all of your characters. And this isn't just female characters, you know, your, your black characters, your white characters, everybody should have the same consideration. Even somebody that's only in a scene for a second and says two things, you should really ask yourself, what is this person thinking and feeling? Because you can enrich your writing so much just by doing that. Oh yeah. That's the biggest lesson that I learned. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I mean, that's a, an invaluable one. I mean, cause 
And I agree. I mean, I, I <clears throat> when I, although I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of that, that test and really what I've learned from just listening to the podcast, even though a lot of it is, is, you know, very comedic in nature, it's, it's, it's still really informative, um, with just, uh, you know, you know, just learning, um, you know, about how, uh, how women are, you know, are, uh, represented in, in film right. and, uh, or at least just having that pointed out to you and being able to look at it from a different perspective. Um, but I don't think it, yeah, I mean, I don't think that you should write something solely to, <laughs> because, to, to, to pass something like that. Right. You know, like if you're writing a book about a slave ship, you're probably not going to have a lot of Asian characters. Right. It's that they weren't on slave ships coming from right. <laughs> the new world to the old world. <laughs> you don't, you know, you don't just write that into the script. So you go, okay, now I have an Asian character. Right. That's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. condescending. That's not, you're not doing any Asian people any favor. You're being condescending. And I yeah. think that that's, that's a lot of people don't get that where it's like, yeah. you want to be true to the characters you're creating and to who they are. If they're women, yeah. be true to their womanhood. If they're black characters, be true to their, their, their roots and the, just the way you would any other character. And that's, yeah. how, that's, that's how you end up with things like the Bechdel test because for decades, nobody did that. Like, oh, we'll just have a woman here and she says that. And she's, she's like a lamp. She's not a person. They just made a character right. space. Yeah. Fucked yeah. up. Yeah, it's 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 an adventure, isn't it? Learning all these things. You, you think as an adult, you're like, okay, I kind of have some things about life figured out. But then when you you know, you you're writing or you're pursuing some sort of <laughs> some sort of I don't even want to say creative uh adventure, just some sort of project or venture, you find out like, oh no, there's still a shitload of things in the world that I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and I know that regardless of any success that could come, um, I'm hoping it does, but regardless of any success, I know I'm always going to be learning. I know that. I, I, I am never going to master this thing to a degree, uh, where I my where my you know learning is capped. I, I know that I'm always going to need to, to learn something be boring if you if you got to a point where you weren't challenged anymore wouldn't it yeah you know yeah it would you know and i know that i i know that uh you know the things that i uh that i that i write you know going back to this going back to the drawing board with this particular script i'm confident that i can you know that i can that i can churn this out um you know, it's, you know, relative, I, I don't want to say relatively quickly, but you know, I, I obsess over these things. I do. So I'm pretty much working every night and, uh, you know, I'm staying up late and I'm, you know, I procrastinate. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to make it seem like I'm just, <laughs> I, I, I'm a fucking machine. No, I mean, I procrastinate just as much as the next guy, but, um, but I'm confident that, you know, I'll be able to fix these things and, uh, and, uh, um, and even enhance the things that I don't think should be fixed. You know, maybe just change them up a little. Um, but I know that there, that even the finished product or what I'll view as the finished product will probably still get, you know, uh, well, people will still have thoughts on it. And that's fine. That's, that's, and that's good. Perfectly fine. 
Yeah. That's a good thing. If you yeah. write something that, you know, you can't, you can't write from the perspective of one, everybody in the world to go, that's perfect. Because it means you made something that's neutral, that has no balls, no statement, no meaning. You created, right. you know, you made something vanilla. And yeah. You don't want to, as a, as a creator, you, nobody strives for vanilla. We're, we're, right. we're trying to make our own flavors. Exactly. And, and division is not always a terrible thing. In art, it's not always a terrible thing. I mean, it, it creates... art, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it creates conversation. It, you know, it allows you to look at new perspectives. I mean, the movie um, uh, Ari, Ari Aster's Midsommar, which, um, you know, was recently, which, which came out a couple of months ago. I love that movie. But, you know, it definitely divided audiences. Yeah. That's the one uh, Brandon was talking and about, right? I believe, I believe so. Um, it's a uh, <laughs> music festival, and people are tripping on not, drums. Yeah, not really music festival. It was more so. It was a. It was a. Um, it was a festival that takes place in Sweden every ninety years, but not not so uh-huh. much a music festival, but more like a um, like a Burning uh, Man almost. In a, in a way, but on a more spiritual level. Um, and it's, I mean, there's a lot more to the movie than, than just that, but, um, I, I, I really love that movie and I also loved hereditary, but I know that even hereditary divided, divided audiences, but that's what made it great. And that's what made Midsommar great. I was listening to a podcast recently where, um, the guy, one of the guys, and it was hosted by three guys do this podcast about movies and they, and they, but through the lens of a screenwriter though. So they're really looking at more. So they're talking about the screenplay itself. Uh, obviously they're reviewing the film, but, but still very much focused on the writing. And one of the main hosts hated this movie, but it was so funny during the, the podcast episode he became the one that was defending a lot of the writer's decisions um, <laughs> to his buddies. And they're like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> they're like, I thought you, you fucking hated this movie. I, I, he's like, I know. I can't believe I'm defending so many things about it. You know, but, but it's just, you know, that's, but that's what makes movies like that great. And, 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 and just not even just movies, but back to the original point, division is not always a bad thing. Right. You know, and, but... And what, what was the name of that podcast? So, so I can put it in the notes for people. Uh, it was uh, Thund- Thundergrunt. Thundergrunt. Okay. Yeah. I'll look for the midsummer episode of Thundergrunt. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a really good one. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that division, in, it's, it's really important because you're making a choice. You're making a strong choice. And that's why, you know, like I said, the vanilla thing, it's, there's so many TV shows that the purpose of a television show is to make money and to not offend anyone, not because they care about offending anyone, but because they want to maximize how much money they make. Right. And they're not making a statement. And those are the TV shows that you'll never remember. You know, right. whereas you, you look at the things, you look like Breaking Bad. Come on. Breaking Bad is probably one of the best TV shows ever made. It is not polite. Yeah. <laughs> it's not no, a polite show. All. The Wire. I mean, it's not a polite show. <laughs> right. The Shield. I mean, The Shield is. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the shield that was, uh, that was on FX. Chickalus, right? Chickalus. Yeah. Probably my, my favorite television show ever. Wow. I mean, in, in regard to just the writing, the, the directing, the performances, 
the thing that the number one thing that that stands out to me and probably why this show you know remains my favorite is the writing the 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 writing on that show was phenomenal just the decision making um in just why characters did things and 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 how they did things it was all so specific to every character and just really immersive because of that and breaking bad you know definitely had that quality as well that's how uh, i feel it, about homicide life on the street i don't know if you ever saw that joe i did not uh, that was david simon before the wire oh okay um, and it was just it unfortunately had by the bedtime slots it never really got as big as everything else but like i th- i think most of the structures of shows like the shield and uh, obviously the wire because it was him and everything that came after were all influenced by that show yeah because it was and just like every every cop show is influenced by every serious cop show is influenced by hill street blues because it was the okay. first on stumble yeah, yeah. you go back and watch that and you're like oh this is <laughs> this is rough this isn't rough you know but for the time that was a that was a divisive show yeah and and it, and because of and you know you bring up you you bring up breaking bad uh, you know, you have a an antihero who, you know, you. I mean, hey, I'll admit it. I, I rooted for the guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he was terrible. He was a terrible person, but I rooted for him. Well, that's the power I, of that show. Like, yeah. It gets you to and root it, for him and then slowly regret it over time. Right. So where you start and I, and I thought, <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, hopefully, you know, people have seen the show. I, I'm not going to go into huge spoilers, but you know, when the show ended, I was like, okay, yeah, he, that he deserved that. <laughs> That's know, the I, way it should have ended. <laughs> yeah, and, it couldn't have uh, ended any other way. Yeah, and uh, even you know, Michael Chiklis's character in the Shield, um, Vic Mackey, I, he was a despicable person, you know, and. Um, just the, the the depths that he would go to protect. I mean, he was doing it obviously to protect his his uh, his team um, and his family. But I mean, he he was just doing these horrific things. I rooted for him too. <laughs> I mean, writing. when he got away with things, I was like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> you know, you're fucking smart. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's but, the, isn't that the weirdest yeah. thing about? dramas especially police dramas on television even even like not even taking it to the extreme of rooting for characters like like that even your average like uh ncis or csi well maybe csi didn't do this but ncis or um law and order you get used to watching these cops do things that if they did them in real life we would be appalled by but in on television, we're rooting for them, you know, like beating a suspect or, uh, you know, tricking a suspect in, you know, into some kind of uh, subterfuge. And you're going, oh, yeah, they got him. Good. But then if you saw a news story where a cop had did that, you'd be outraged. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't believe we have police that do things like this. It's a really weird situation we've set up there. I don't understand it. It is. <laughs> It seems to have uh, characters like that, though, you know, and, and maybe I'm just not watching those shows or I haven't watched those shows. Characters like that, though, are feel like they have not so much vanished, but aren't being 
aren't being really written anymore. Or actually, I don't even want to say that. I just maybe I'm just not seeing those shows. You know? Well, I, I mean, think what what's happened is what what used to be is you know used to be like the tough guy. You know, like uh, yeah. It was like the the Dirty Harry is a great example, not TV, but Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry did despicable things. You know, like he he killed people without even having proof that they were guilty. Um, yeah, which is not good in real life. But it's become watered down. Like I don't I don't watch a a lot of what's on television right now, but like I still catch it when it comes on to streaming. I like cop shows, so I end up watching yeah. a lot of them, even crappy ones. Or um, maybe not even crappy, but just kind of like average ones, like the new version of Hawaii Five O. I like it. It's all right. It's entertaining. I don't. I'm not seriously psyched about it. But yeah. you know, when I'm when I want something that's kind of entertaining, but I don't want to be super engaged with it, it's great. But even on the shows like that, they do things where it's like, okay, what you're doing right there is violating that person's rights. But in the context of this show, it's cool because you're trying to catch that guy. And I think what it is, is on shows like that is we're freed from having to worry about whether the cop is violating the law because in the context of fiction, we know that person's guilty. Right. So we can excuse anything they do to catch that person because we as the audience have the benefit of knowing that person's guilty. But in real life, we don't have that benefit. So maybe, I don't know, I've never thought about that before it came out of my mouth right now. So maybe that's what it is. I don't know. There's, just, I mean, because it's just the consequences are completely removed when mm-hmm. when you like a thing like that, like a like a roller coaster. You know, you can have that that thrilling feeling without any of the consequences at all. Right. You know, you can be dropped from you know this high. Um, you could you could be dropped from this you know really high level, and then, but you know, you're going to be okay. Right, um, exactly. But it's still, it's still really scary, though. Yeah, that so. that cop, that um, cop is not. He's not patrolling your neighborhood. <laughs> he's not breaking well, into your house. He's a fictional character. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if, uh, but but if uh, like a character that I think the reason why I like, um, you know, a character like Vic Mackey or um, Walter White is because there was because even. The, even though they were doing these horrible things, there was still, um, you know, the, the there was still the matter of a family. There was still the matter of um, of uh, friendship, you know, or anything. You know, I mean, Walter White it's protected. Yeah, exactly. There was still that complexity that I could that I could relate to, not relate obviously to the heinous acts, but still relate to in some way. If I just saw uh, a show about a a, a cop who just goes out on patrol and just randomly or pulls a, you know, a, a black man over and just starts beating him or kills him. And that's supposed to be the main character. Oh, I'm tuning out of that. I have, right. <laughs> I don't want to watch that. <laughs> like, what at is all. This show? <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, I, I, I should care about this fucking guy, you know? And so, I mean, in <laughs> now I'm saying that, uh, you know, any any shield any uh, shield fan, you know, knows what Vic Mackey does very early on in the in well, actually in the first episode. So, all right, <laughs> or anybody that watched uh, the Harvey Keitel movie, The Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, where he pulls those where he pulls those young women over and and pulls something else out <laughs> <on> too. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, everybody should watch I that. Can't, be offended. Yeah, I, I I can't say that I liked that character at all or had any you know, sympathy for that guy. Um, right. But it was a fascinating movie, though. It really was. 
Well, you know what's what's yeah. the the thing about fiction and complexity is it's it's compelling. The complex complexity is compelling. When everything is simplistic, it's boring because it's predictable. Right. That's why I thought right. one of the things that the the Marvel Netflix shows did really well wasn't the heroes. The heroes, in all honesty, weren't that interesting. It was the villains that compelled those shows. Now, the first uh, right. season of Daredevil was good because Vincent D'Onofrio as the Kingpin was right. amazing. And he was complex. And you liked him, but you hated him. And uh, David Tennant in the first season of Jessica Jones as Killjoy, he's disgusting, but also completely charming and compelling. And yeah. that complexity drives things. And it's easy, you know, these... TV people we're talking about that worry about, you know, like making these vanilla shows that make as much money, they don't inject very much complexity because they don't want the consequences, which is the division going back to where we started with all this. But that's what makes things interesting and what makes them last in our heads. You know, the, the books that we don't like stick with us just as much as the books that we really like. But right. it's the ones that we have no opinion on that we forget. Like, what do you think of that yeah, book? Yeah, I mean, there's even music like that too. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's music like there, there's music that I can listen to while I'm just doing dishes, you know. Right. And it's you know, and it's soothing. It's a soothing thing to do while I'm doing, or it's, it's it's music that I don't really have to pay attention to, you know. Right. And then there's music that totally pulls me in that I can't do anything while listening to it or on actually unless unless it's exercise exercise is exercise is different i think you could listen to anything while exercising yeah um but uh you know there are things when When you're washing the dishes you can put on some samba or something you're like i'm not paying attention but then sonic youth you got to pay attention (laughs) right yeah you know something that joy division yeah i'm not going to listen to joy division while i'm you know um you know, cleaning my floor or, <laughs> Clipping or your you know what, or who knows, you know, maybe, maybe I would, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I have actually. Maybe it, it makes it better. Maybe we're doing it all wrong, Mark. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah, but, yeah. um, but yeah, there's music that's just elevator music and there's, there's quite a bit of it now, nowadays. Um, oh yeah. I don't even know. You know, like I was just, flipping through something the other day i think it was apple news and i saw something i don't know why i clicked on it but it was like taylor swift covers phil collins as far as i know i've never heard taylor swift and i say as far as i know is because it's quite possible i've walked into stores where she's playing and i don't know it yeah it's yeah. the same thing with beyonce like i couldn't tell you and it's not because i'm avoiding them it's just like i'm not in the realm where that kind of music pop music comes out yeah. at least not in a way for me to know what I'm hearing. But yeah. for some reason I clicked on this thing and she covers this Phil Collins song and I'm like, okay, I get why this girl's famous. She's beautiful. I knew that, but she has an amazing voice. And it was weird because I'm probably like fucking 20 years behind on that knowledge. <laughs> Listening to the thing, I was like, okay, I get why, why you're famous. You have a very good voice. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm... It's interesting... Well, I used to work at uh, I used to work at T-Mobile, and I used to uh, I used to manage um, the uh, you know some of the stores <clears throat> and some of the teams. And my most recent one was uh, 
managing the Oak Ridge team in Oak, the store in Oak Ridge Mall. And, uh, you know, obviously a job like that, and you know, a, a retail job like that, you're listening to music constantly and you're listening to, you know, top 40 stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was exposed to, you know, all, all of that, you know, I, and, and me being, a, <laughs> me being a big music guy, um, I, you know, sure. I had my opinions. I mean, I, I, I know what I like and I know what I don't and I know why. And, um, listening to, you know, I hear Taylor Swift, the, that song, uh, shake it off, I think is one of the, you know, I mean, she's got a lot of popular songs, but that one was really big. And listening to that song, I'm like, okay, I don't like this song. I would never listen to this song on my own, but I could see why people like this song. Right. You know, I could see why it's because it's just fun. It's just a, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just fun music and people, that's fine. People like music. I I like listening to Radiohead. I like listening to music, music that, you know, makes me feel a certain way. Right. You know, some people like doing that. Other people like just listening to music. That's fun. That that's kind of, and that's and that's you know awesome. Yeah, because I do it too. I don't listen to, you know, I don't listen to Radiohead every day of my life. You know, there's sometimes where I'm like, no, I don't want to listen to this album. I don't want to listen to Tom Wilkes right now. I'm going to listen to, you know, Angel Olsen, or I want to listen to PJ Harvey or somebody else. You know, but um, but I was very, you know, I was exposed to a lot of that, you know. Beyonce and, and all that stuff, and you know, I can I can see why people like it, and I can see why it's popular, and why it's you know the focal point of a lot of TV shows and movies, and and why it's there, and you know, but yeah, music. It's a, different, oh. it's a very different phase of things, you know. Like it's like two different. Something I've probably brought up with at least three guests is there's like two different music worlds. There's the yeah. I'm hesitant to use the word because it have the connotations, but art music world. And then there's the popular music view. And the popular music is like you said, it's just to elevate the mood of whatever you're doing. This is, I'm listening to this while I'm driving the car and I'm not really paying attention, but it's a nice day to drive in my car. And this, this music helps to elevate that a little bit. And then the art music is like, like you said, I want to feel something. I want to explore something. And, you know, it's exploring emotions, exploring ideas, exploring sounds, going back to Sonic Youth. Um, right. And so the two different purposes and two different audiences. And you and I just don't happen to be pop audiences. And I don't know. Well, I guess maybe that's... that's. I was going to say I don't know many men who are, but that's not true because there is like top 40 for men. And, and I yeah. think right now it tends to be more hip-hop and R&B. Yeah. Um, which I, I mean, another I, thing I don't know a ton about. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I do like I, I like pop music. I don't necessarily like top forty style pop music, um, but I like you know, I pop. do like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I'll I'll still listen to the shit out of Love and Rockets or something like that. You oh, know, yeah. or, you know, I mean, I'll still listen to a lot of that stuff nowadays and still feel. Um, but um, it's interesting when you when you were just made me think um, of, a, of a band. But when you were talking about you know bands that um, you know have uh, like have been more considered in the past, maybe or or I'm sorry, just the the whole kind of art art music and pop music. It's interesting um, listening to Sleater Kinney's latest album. Mm. 
because they made a very, very noticeable shift from, you know, the music that they, you know, the, the, the music that they were known for, um, you know, to a very, very, to me anyway, top 40 sounding album. Right. The drummer uh, left over the change. With, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the album's called The Center Won't Hold. And, and yeah, and the interesting thing was is St. Saint, Saint Vincent or uh, Annie Clark, a.k.a. St. Vincent, she is um, an extraordinary musician. She's incredible. When it was announced that she was um, uh, producing their album, I got excited. I was like, holy shit. I mean, that is a fucking collaboration if I've ever thought of, you know, Fucking St. Vincent and Sleater Kenny? Yes. I'm in. And uh, um, then news broke a couple of months ago that Janet Weiss was leaving the band uh, very openly because of the direction of the, of, that they were going in. Right. And that made me a little nervous. I was like, oh, shit. Well, I still, I'm obviously, I'm going to listen to the album. Fuck yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, but that made me a little nervous, though, you know, because Janet Weiss was, I mean, is one of the, you know, most uh, energetic and just impressive drummers, um, iconic drummers, um, you know, the past 20 years. Um, but I was like, oh, God, what, what does this thing sound like, you know? And, and St. Vincent's albums, you know, they, they definitely have a very different sound. Um mm-hmm. And, uh, um, so I said, okay, well, and I didn't think about that at first, you know, when, when I was like, okay, that, that's, yeah, I, you know, I didn't know what kind of influence, you know, she was going to have, uh, on, on the band. Um, uh, but I was excited, you know, to listen to the collaboration. Anyway, the album comes out and, and I'm like, okay, now I'm not, not assuming I know exactly what was going on, you know, Janet Weiss's head, you know, what she thinks about, but yeah, it's. I I don't want to bash. I, I don't want to sit there. I'm not here to trash the album or anything. You know, I, I I wasn't a fan of the album. I listened to it. I think four times. I said, you know what? I I listened to it once and developed an opinion about it. They they deserve more than that. Right. But I did not like it the first time I listened to it, and I had listened to some of the singles, you know, before the album came out, and I said, ha, huh, okay. <laughs> So did what, I. Is this album, what is this? What is this album going to sound like? You know, it's like gothy and, pop almost. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and you know, it, it, I guess it. I mean, it's still there's a lot of things that the album is missing. You know that that you know that the last album. I mean, the last album, uh, what No Cities to Love, I think you mm-hmm. know came out like three or four years ago. Um, that actually was my very first Leader Kinney album that I ever owned. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And I loved that album. And then I went back, you know, and, you know, I, and, uh, one beat I think is my favorite one beats my favorite album, but, uh, hot rocks. When, hot rocks is mine. Hot rocks is a great one too. Yeah. Um, the woods is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're call the doctor is the only one that I don't think I've heard, but, uh, so I went, you know, I was like, oh, God, these fucking women are fucking awesome. And, um, and so, yeah. And then I, I, I listened to this album. When we, I listened to it on the airplane when we went to, uh, when Josephine and I went to Illinois, I listened to it in 
you know, in Pennsylvania when we were there and just in our ho- in the hotel room, you know, after going out and yeah, I just, I couldn't get into it. I just couldn't do it. And I started thinking more about, you know, uh, the, the collaboration. I'm like, ah, I make, I don't know. <laughs> I get not like uh, yeah. Cat Power did that. And like Cat Power had one album where it was like popular and I was like, Hmm, doesn't work for me. Yeah. So I, only, I yeah, and she's actually what is it? Sean Marshall is that her name? Is that mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's, I I only have one of her. I only have one of her albums, and it's the, the the greatest. And I don't know if that's the one you're referring to. The greatest is actually a really good album. Yeah, um, it is. The one after it, I'm is called Sun that I'm thinking of. Yeah. But, yeah. If you go back to, you should go back and definitely check out the covers record because her okay. cover of the yeah. stone is the most unique cover of the Rolling Stones. She covers Satisfaction. Yeah. And it's like a completely different song. It's so cool. Yeah. And, but, um, but, it's, but, it's, but it's interesting that a lot of bands take that... A lot of bands make that, um, that shift from, you know, from whether it's you know, post-punk or punk or even just rock to very synthy to synth-pop. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it it's a very common shift, and I don't I don't know why because it's not the most interesting. It, it's it's not the most interesting turn, and and not that synth music in any way is is you know easy to make. You know, no. I mean, it's difficult to make that sound good at times or interesting or unique. But I've seen a lot of albums. I've not a lot of albums. I'm sorry. I've seen a lot of bands. You know, take that take that approach. Um, right. You know, the killers did but, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, sometimes it works, you know, like uh, Arcade Fire did it and it was great. Uh, sometimes it yeah, doesn't. You know, are, are you referring to what was their, what was their last album? Uh, Reflector? It, uh, no, that or, one was Cynthia. No. Reflector was Cynthia as well, though, too. Reflector Re- was before Reflector, it. Reflector was. And, I, and I, I liked Reflector. I think the new one was uh, Everything Now. Um, yeah. And I did not like that album at all. Yeah, the songwriting, and it, and and it was because of that though. And reflector, reflect. See, you could definitely tell that they were because even even I think uh, even uh, is it funeral? Is that the name of their first album? Yeah. Uh, it, even funeral. You know they they're they're very like towards the end of the album. Um, you know, or you know they they get into a more pop oriented you know love or stage or whatever. Um, and then Neon Bible definitely had that. So you kind of knew already where they were going. Yeah. And the suburbs and, did too. It's harder to notice because it's guitar driven, but there's yeah. synths underneath every song on the suburbs. Oh yeah. And, and that, that might be my favorite album of theirs is Mine the suburbs. Too, yeah. The suburbs is, is great. And then Reflector came out that was good too. That was actually more Reflector. Uh, you could definitely hear more reggae, um, influence disco which too. you which you definitely yes yes which you definitely hear in anything now or everything now and mm-hmm. um, i just couldn't do it i listened to that album and i kind of i felt the same way um very similar take on everything now that i did the center wall hole by sleater kid very same and i listened to i gave it but i gave it a couple of listens i listened to that album maybe three times like no it's not it's not sinking you know maybe a year from now maybe it'll maybe it'll right. do it i love that when but, you're like i never liked this album now all of a sudden i love it yeah. 
Well, it's funny as we brought the conversation into full circle right now, too. You know, you realize that, right? That we started uh, talking about putting out stuff and it's about the process. Just keep putting stuff out. It's about the process. Yeah. (laughs) That's probably what they're thinking. Like, hey, let's, well, let's try it. Why not? We never got to work with her before. And who knows? And I don't, of course. Yeah. And I don't begrudge uh, a band for wanting to do something that they've never done before. I mean, absolutely Absolutely. not. Otherwise, I mean, yeah. I mean, if Radiohead wanted to make a synth album, that would very much surprise me if they ever did that. But if they did, right? What's that? Kid A is kind of a synth album. I, 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 I think that's more of an electronic. Yeah, um, that's a good point. An electronic album. Very it's experimental. And, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. 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 Good. And, um, but if they did, yeah. I mean, if, if Tom York did, you know, I, I loved his last album, his uh, Anima. Um, you know, every album doesn't have to be our favorite to still support the band, you know? Like, right. Like yeah. we said, you know, go through Arcade Fire. Do I like Arcade Fire? Yes. Do I do I love every album and want to play it all the time? No. Just like yeah. the national, I love the national. Their last two albums, I don't like as much trouble as Trouble Will Find Me. Yeah. But I, yes, I was not a fan of. I was absolutely not a fan of the last album. The one with uh, with it, all the female singers. Yeah, yeah, and it's it very just, different. Um, it is. It is. It is very different, and you know, I like. I definitely like guest vocals. I do. Um, be it, you know, man or woman, I don't care. I, I like guest vocals. They really had a lot of it. I was like, God, this doesn't even sound Every like a national song. anymore. It just, yeah, it just sounds like a completely different band. And some bands, he, um, he, Matt, I don't know, what is it, Matt Berenger, I think is his mm-hmm. name. I don't know. I, I just, some songs, I was like, wait, has he, has he even sung yet? <laughs> like, I can't, <laughs> well, I what's cool is when you find guy, out yeah. the story behind that album, though, is it started out just to be one song and, uh, God, what's the guy's name? He has the same Mike Mills, not the bass player from REM, but the filmmaker Mike Mills wanted to do. Oh, okay. Uh, he wanted to do a film project, and it, so they're just going to do one song. And he's like, "Can I produce? I've never produced music before." And they're like, "Sure, why not?" And yeah. so they brought this dude who has no experience in producing music in, and they just had fun making the song. And they're like, "Well, shit, let's just do a whole album like this." And that's why they did it, just for the hell of it. Yeah. So the story is really cool. Like I'm, you know, like it's like a seven out of ten. It's not a bad album. Yeah. I'm just not excited about it. Yeah, I, I would probably, I, I would even rate it lower. I mean, I listened to it. Um, yeah, I listened to it a couple of times. I think the first time I was like, I'm bored. I, I, I can't even finish this whole thing. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just bored. And like Sleater Kitty, that that new album, I didn't like, but it's it's, it's interesting though. Right. You know, I was like, okay, I want to hear the next song. Okay. That's All right. I, I wasn't crazy. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about that song, but that fucking guitar riff right there was pretty cool, though. You I know, was so listening I to the next Tool yeah. album yesterday, and I found myself spacing out, and I'm like, "Am I too old for Tool now? Like, is this boring?" I'm like, because that, that little repetitive drum and guitar thing—they've been doing that for like two and a half minutes with nothing changing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody on uh, somebody on Twitter, somebody on Twitter um, said. Uh, I think they said, I'm, I'm listening to the new Tool album. It sounds like, followed by Ellipses, Tool. <laughs> it's just, it's There's such so a stupid... I'm like, why are you doing joke, that so long? <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, first listen. So I can't really judge it. Who knows, like you said. Yeah. And I, I got to give it at least like three or four more listens. I might fall in love with it. I might have been in a bad yeah. mood. 
just like I say with books, if you don't like a book, you should probably reread it at some point later in your life. Obviously, if it's a decent book, you know, like a piece of you know, somebody's some biography by somebody you don't care about, you're probably never going to care about that. But yeah, yeah. I was going to say about Tool. They were one of those bands that I listened to when I was actually in my transitional period of just learning what the fuck I was really excited about, you know, right. music wise, you know, and I really liked Undertow. I really liked that, uh, which, you know, it's a, it, you know, it, everybody did, but the cliche to even mention the, the video for sober, you know, oh, yeah. um, but I, I, I really like, yeah, you know, I really liked that album was great. And that, uh, that kind of secret song at the end with the, in the slaughterhouse, at least uh, just freaked me out. But, um, <laughs> uh, that was it. That was the last album I listened to of theirs. And right. it wasn't big. And I, I love that album. I just started listening to other stuff and, and it just, my, my, sh- it was just a huge shift in what I was listening to and what was really kind of connecting. And yeah, they were just one of those bands that I, that I still have respect for, but I don't even know their full catalog in any way. Right. Um, yeah. We're going to carry this conversation on over to Patreon because we're still hot. We're going to keep going. Um, okay. So if you if you guys want to listen to the rest of our conversation, the bonus episode, we'll call it, you guys can go over to patreon.com forward slash holyfoolproductions, become a patron, $5 or more, you have access to bonus content. Like the... Who knows how long we're going to go for? I have a feeling we're going to go for a while because there's so yeah. many more topics I want to talk about with you. Um, yeah, and do that, and do that Patreon because this next part's going to get really dirty. So. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna pull out all the stops. <laughs> uh, where, where can everybody follow you online? Where do you want to direct them to? Uh, my my website is uh, the themadshot.com. Um, www.themadshot.com. So that's where you can, um, you know, you can see my photography. I haven't actually uploaded too many new pictures, uh, over the, over the past year or so. Um, but, uh, you could, you could still take a look at there's, there's a variety of different, you know, categories you could look at. And you could also read my blog, the blog too. Uh, I've only written, I think this year I've written maybe three new blogs. Um, but the blog was always something that I, that I did every couple of months, right. even less so even less so now since I've just really been focusing on the, uh, the screenwriting, but still very much wanting to contribute, uh, another, another blog to the site. soon. and if you guys haven't listened to the last episode with Mark, make sure you go back and listen to that one. We talked a lot about the blog and I highly recommend you guys go read the blog. I love it. So, uh, and if you guys want to follow random badassery on Twitter, or Instagram, we are at, at Random Badassery, all one word. You can follow us there. And uh, if you dug this episode and you're listening in Overcast, like right now, give it a star. Share this episode with somebody. That's a really cool thing to do. I would appreciate it. More people, especially if anybody that's out there is a writer, this would be a great episode for them to listen to. And then, of course, take the time, go on Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. And... Uh, before we end this section of the conversation, Mark, do you have uh, words of wisdom that you would like to end with for the audience? Sure. Um, so just kind of going back to what I said about, um, you know, the notes, the, the notes that I got, um, trust, you know, just kind of echoing what that, uh, you know, what my a fellow writer, you know, said to me, 
trust your voice. Trust your voice and trust what you want to do. That doesn't mean, you know, denouncing notes that you get. You know, if, if, you, if you're if a screenwriter like myself, you're going to get them. But take a step back and look at them. But regardless of whether or not you agree with those notes, respect what they're suggesting. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you should forget about your voice and forget what you, you know, want to, you know, we're hoping to, uh, to put out there. Write the movie you want to write. Make the music you want to make. And just trust your voice.